We are beginning a new series of messages this morning. I've been really looking forward to it. We were in uh, the Jesus We Need, that study of the Gospel of John from January 1 until last week. That was a long time to be in a sermon series. We finished right at the triumphal entry and um, the, uh, the Palm Sunday, and we will pick that back up Palm Sunday. So we're not finished with John as well. We try to preach from the Old Testament as well as the New Testament in this church. A lot of times the, the Old Testament kind of gets short shrift, but the Old Testament is so helpful to us in understanding who God is, uh, what idolatry is, and what grace looks like in that historical perspective of all that God did with his people leading up to Jesus. So this morning we begin a series called Destination Transformation. It's the story of Jacob. And I'll just tell you now that Jacob is not necessarily the person that you and I would have chosen to be the leader of God's people. We'll get more into that in the sermon. But it is God's grace. It is His transformation. This is a story of us. And who we are. And how God wants to transform us and give us a destiny uh, close to Him and, and being utilized by Him to His glory. So let's start the whole thing with prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for both testaments of Your Bible. And now, as we look at that promise, that covenant... The Messiah to come and and who is carrying along the line of that covenant and the line, the family line of the Messiah. We are amazed that it is Jacob. Would you open our hearts and minds for transformation in these coming weeks? Would you challenge us? Lord, would you allow us to see ourselves from angles that we haven't seen yet, and to see your grace, your mercy, as more. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to Genesis 25, verses 19 through 26. This is the beginning of the story of Jacob in the Bible. Genesis 25, there are Bibles underneath your seats. If you don't have one, you just reach under, and there are some there for you. Genesis 25, 19 through 26, and this is the Word of God. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, took her to be his wife at age 40. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived The children struggled together within her womb. And she said, if it is thus and all is well, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord about it. 
And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out all red, his body like a hairy cloak. And so they called his name Esau, which means hairy. Afterwards, his brother came out and his hand was holding fast to Esau's heel. And so his name was called Jacob, or heel catcher. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Now, I want to look at this passage today and start this whole series through two words that are very important to me and to you. And they are timing and choice. Timing and choice. So just sit back and let me tell you a little bit of the story of Jacob. The story of Jacob, just like your story, begins with God and the sovereignty of God. God's absolute monarchy over all things, including your conception and birth. Now, when we meet Jacob in Genesis 25, we meet him in his mother's womb. But just the fact that he is in his mother's womb is a really, really big deal. Jacob's dad, Isaac, was the son of Abraham and Sarah. Isaac married Rebekah when he was 40 years old. And there's a great story there that we can't go into today. And so when Rebekah, the, the daughter of Bethuel, the sister of Laban, whom we will meet in about three weeks in this story, her brother, from Paddan Aram, had to leave her homeland and go to be united with Isaac, they had a big farewell party for Rebecca. And during this farewell party, they, they gave her, she received a blessing. And the blessing is found one chapter earlier than our text in Genesis 24, 60. And this is how they blessed Rebecca as she left home to be married. Quote, may you increase, meaning children, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of our enemies. And she was sent off with that blessing. And that blessing must have just been replaying in her head over and over and over when she and Isaac were unable to get pregnant. That's one of the most painful things that people go through in this world. It's kind of an overlooked thing among the hard things that people go through. But I tell you, 
It is a very difficult journey. Especially in the ancient world where so much of your your wealth and well-being and your security depended on having children and lots of them. And Isaac must have thought about that promise given to Abraham that, that through your seed nations will come from you and through the child of promise, that was Isaac. And through Isaac, God has promised, and through Isaac and Rebekah, that there are going to be children and descendants and descendants and whole nations. Boy, he must have thought about that a lot when they were unable to have children. So we read in this text, first thing we see about Isaac is that he's really got down on his knees a lot. And prayed, oh God, give us children. Oh God, open Rebecca's womb and give us children. Now some of you know what Isaiah, uh, excuse me, I'll probably say Isaiah more than I should. Isaac, some of you know what Isaac's name means. His name means laughter, like ha 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 laughter. And the reason that Abraham and Sarah, when Isaac was born, said, we got the perfect name for this child, we're going to call him Laughter. The reason is that when God's angel told Abraham that they would conceive, he and, and Sarah would conceive and bear a son, he was 99 years old. She was 90. And she was behind, you can see, you know, in these tents they live in. She's behind the curtain. And she busts out laughing at what the angel told Abraham. She didn't believe it. She just started laughing. And sure enough, she, she conceives. It, it is a miraculous thing. And he, he is 100. She is 91 when when Sarah gives birth to Isaac, and that's why they said, we got the perfect name for him. We're going to call him Laughter. Because I laughed at even the thought that God could give us this blessing. But I want to tell you something. Laughter is not laughing now. God had promised these children through he and his wife, Rebecca. And they're not coming. So now they're newlyweds. Now they're in their first year of marriage, the year of adjustment. Now they're in their second year of marriage and they're unable to get pregnant. Now they're in their third year of marriage. Now they're in their fifth year of marriage. They wanted children their first year of marriage. Now they're in their tenth year of marriage and he is praying Now they are in their 15th year of marriage. Now they are in their 17th year of marriage. Now they are in their 20th year of marriage. And he is now 60 years old, not 40, when they first got married. The children weren't coming for 20 years. But suddenly, Mr. Laughter... 
is laughing again. Because Rebecca, his wife, 20 years later, conceives. And she's going to have a baby and we're going to find out it's not even a baby. She's going to have two babies. And it has to do with God's timing. Do you get a feel for this? As the the Bible lays this story out. This is the first thing I want us to think about is, is your life as well as theirs and God's timing. You see, God is working His will flawlessly. His good, pleasing, and perfect will in His timing. Boy, that's sometimes even hard to hear. His timing, not your timing. His timing, not their timing. Or whoever it is that feels like God is dreadfully late. And there are situations in people's lives, I mean right here this morning, a lot of people's lives, where this is painfully clear. Because like Isaac, you must trust And you must wait. You must wait upon the Lord. Twenty years after marriage, that couple was still trusting. He was still praying. They were still waiting. There are things in your life right now, I'm sure. You know how I know? Because we're all fallen people living in a fallen world. And life's hard. There are things in your life right now that you're asking... How long, O Lord? How long is this going to go on? That's not easy. But we have to look to God as God. And we have to trust Him as a God of both sovereignty, absolute control, absolute monarchy overall, but also a God of goodness. We have to believe that God is both sovereign and good. Now, I understand the, the, the cynics say, well, there's all this bad in the universe, so He's either sovereign or good. He can't be both. Either He's the absolute King and He's just this horrible King because He's allowed these things to happen, or you can't blame Him at all because He's never been in control anyway, but He's really sweet. No, that is making the assumption that the person making those charges knows all things, knows how everything works, knows why everything happens and has happened exactly when it has. No, we do not stand over God. And we can ask those questions and God is not mad. We can even make those allegations and He's a big boy, He can handle it. But it does not change the fact That before there was nothing, there was God, and there is something, and God is a God who is ruling over His creation and over those made in His image. He is both sovereign and good. Never had anybody have what they consider good things happen to them and say, God, I'm just so upset because, you know, I know you're sovereign, but why are you so good? We live in a fallen world. Hard things happen. And yet our hope is that God is king. 
You see, that's where our hope is. We can trust Him and we can even trust His timing as well. But no, God, you, you don't understand. I want resolution now. I, I think about this when I wake up in the morning. I think about this at lunch. I think about this when the lights go out at night and I can't stop thinking about it. And don't you see that I can't stop? I need this resolved now, God. I get it. I, need, I want healing now. I need to get out of this hole now, whatever that hole is, the way, the way you would describe that hole you're in. Or soon. How about soon? Not even now. You know what was impressive to me about Isaac as we kind of open this narrative? He didn't do what his daddy did. You remember what his daddy did? God promised you're going to have a child, he's 99, 100 when he's born, she's 90. And, um, and so they're having to wait upon the Lord. They're having to trust in God's timing, right? Well, let me tell you something. They called time on God and His promise. Time's up! And she said, you know what? Abraham, they both agreed, not just her. Just take my maidservant over here who's a lot younger and impregnate her. Let's just go ahead and have that. Let's just go ahead and call time on God. Let's go ahead and have that child now. And sure enough, they had that child, not the child of promise, made painfully clear by God. The maidservant's name was Hagar. The child's name was Ishmael. And we are still still dealing with the fallout from the sons of Jacob and the sons of Ishmael today. All you got to do is go to the Middle East. And you can see that happening. Twenty years, Isaac praying. He didn't do that. And and I'm going to tell you, he he just kept praying. He kept waiting on the Lord. Isaac's kind of the quiet patriarch. You don't really know about a lot about him. He's kind of quiet. He must be just one of these steady characters. You know people like that? I love Isaac. Twenty years. I mean, that is inspiring. To Mr. I want it now. How about you? That was God's timing. The teaching this morning is about God's timing is that it is rooted in His sovereign choice. It is rooted in His sovereign kingly activity quite independent from anybody or anything. That bothers people that God is free. Doesn't bother us. It's our only hope. God is both sovereign and good. We can trust Him. And waiting upon the Lord isn't just marking time in, in any old way, just kind of getting in a tough position and, you know, just being miserable until the thing goes away. That's not waiting on the Lord. No. Waiting on the Lord is trusting God. It is accepting while we do whatever we can that is humanly possible according to the dictates of wisdom and what the Scriptures would teach and what we can do in our situation. It's a trusting heart over time. Walking closely with God by faith and repenting 
just like Isaac and Rebekah did. And that was not a baby. That was two babies. And that's the next part of this has to do with the two babies. And the first idea is God's timing. Do you remember the second idea? The second idea is about God's choice. Timing and choice. God's will is God's choice. And God's will, God's choice, is grace to us. Well, Rebecca's womb must have been looking pretty big. <laughs> she, you know, they didn't have ultrasounds. You, you're aware of that, right? Um, she became aware that something was going on inside this womb. And it was big because there were two of them in there. And there was big movement. I mean, any of you who've carried a baby, you know, know about kicking and movement. And, you know, I, I'm looking at Gina. I, I had the privilege. I didn't carry a baby. Thank you for doing that, Gina. Um, <laughs> but I at least got to put my hand where the kicks were. <laughs> This was well beyond kicking. These were two babies in the womb who were, quote, from the scripture there, struggling together, wrestling together. The Hebrew word for struggling together literally means smashing and crushing one another. (laughs) This was like a cataclysm, this raucous thing going on in the womb. And uh, that's what we get to see today is the womb, and then the birth, and it's all about God's choice. This whole thing in the womb is kind of like a movie trailer. You know how a preview or a trailer of a movie lets you know what the movie is going to be about. And I have noticed, along with my family, that you know sometimes you'll watch a trailer, and I remember one of my daughters saying recently, after this really involved trailer, well, I guess we don't have to watch the movie. <laughs> because it was over-explained in the trailer, and we didn't watch the movie. Well, this is in miniature the rest of the story of Jacob. This is the movie trailer for all that's about to, to happen. The babies struggling together, and the babies previewing the way they will be and act out toward one another in life. So with all this going on, and all this smashing and crashing in her womb, she's not feeling good, and she's alarmed. And so she goes to inquire of the Lord about this this issue after 20 years of prayer. And so they go to the house of a prophet, we assume. We don't know who that is. And the Lord speaks to her through A prophet, you know, the prophet's the mouthpiece of God to the people. The priests are those that represent the people to God with sacrifices. So she goes to the prophet, and the Lord says to her through this prophet the most amazing thing. Now remember, she's waited 20 years. All this is going on. She says, um, if everything is okay, why is all this happening like this inside of me? The Lord said to her this, two nations. Are in your womb right now. Two whole peoples will be developed from the babies in your womb. 
Two peoples that shall be divided, not like one another. And one shall be stronger than the other people, and the older, remember this, the older shall serve the younger. That's the phrase right there about choice. The older shall serve the younger. And so the twins were born. And the first one came out, and he, we read, was hairy like a garment. All right? And so they called him Esau. Um, I mean, basically in English, his name was Harry. Not Harry, but Harry. Or maybe the updated in 70s terms, Scooby-Doo terms, we called it, he, they could have called him Shaggy or something like that. But he also was reddish in color, and he had this nickname... Because, I mean, his whole life he was reddish. He had red hair and he's reddish. Um, his nickname was Edom, which means red. He is the father of this entire nation of people called the Edomites that are going to be, just like the prophet said, at alt with the Israelites. The kingdom of Edom, because his name was red, that was his you know, nickname, hey, Red. Then the second one comes out. The second one comes out grabbing the heel of the first of Esau as if he's trying to pull Esau back into the womb so that he can go first. So they named him Yahab, Jacob. It means heel catcher. Heel grabber. Not a very elegant name. Hey, heel grabber. Come on, let's go to the movies. <laughs> they named people, you know, this way back then. Heel grabber also has kind of an implied nickname as well, or kind of a name, deceiver. Supplanter. The one that wants to take over instead of you. Deceiver. Uh, stand by next week. Somebody's going to lose a birthright, and somebody's going to lose a blessing, and heel grabbers going to grab it all. You still have to come back next week. Okay, so there it is. So let's just ask a few questions of this text. Why in the world would God? choose the younger to be served by the older. Now, in that culture, as y'all, many of you probably already know, it's the firstborn, the firstborn that gets the birthright. He becomes like the understood leader of all the other siblings. It's the firstborn that gets the birthright. It's the firstborn that gets the blessing. And God says, not this time, I've decided I'm choosing the secondborn to be the one that the firstborn has to serve. This is to, to Hebrew ears at that time. This is highly irregular and points up that Yeah, it's irregular because it's just what God wanted to do 
irregular or not. It is God's choice. So here's the larger question. Why in the world would God choose a heel-catching deceiver to carry on his covenant promises made to Abraham and to continue and further the line of God's Messiah. Why would God choose a heel-catching liar to do that? I mean, that is a fair question, isn't it? Here's the answer we're given in the text. And there's a parallel passage in Romans 9 that's even more forceful about God's choice. Here's the answer. Because He's God. And He gives grace to people who don't deserve it. And the bottom line is this. Why did He choose a hill-catching liar? Because He wanted to. Because it was His call. It was His choice. And He made His choice. And believe it or not, Jacob was chosen by God. And Judah would come out of Jacob and David would come out of Jacob and others and and Jesus Christ would be in the lineage of David, the house of Judah, the son of Jacob, the seed of uh, the son of Isaac, the seed of Abraham. Now, if you have put your trust in this Messiah that comes through this line and what, what He's done. You know, Messiah, it means the, the, the conquering one. It means the one, the anointed one, the one who comes to save, the one that becomes the leader. He has done everything needed for you to have a relationship with a holy God. We cannot approach God on our own. This whole Old Testament after the fall from grace in Genesis 3.14 is answered by Genesis 3.15. One day there's going to be somebody born that's going to crush the head of that serpent and going to reverse this curse. And that whole line that Jacob is a part of is how the Messiah is sent to us. You want to know whether you're chosen by God? Because that's what this is about. It's not just about his choice of Jacob. It's about the fact that he's a chooser. And I know that rankles. But all you got to do is read the Old Testament. If you've put your trust in the Messiah who died on the cross to to deal with our sins against the Holy God, to wipe them out and rose from the dead to give us new life. If you've done that, then you know you are chosen. You want to know you're chosen or not? And please don't do this. I always wonder whether I'm chosen. If you've put your trust in Jesus, you are chosen. This is all about the lineage of Jesus, the Messiah, and God's choice. Ephesians 1, verse 4. He, God, God chose us, it's about believers. God chose us in Him, Jesus. God chose us in Him when? Before the foundation of the world. Y'all want to turn to Ephesians 1, 4 through 6? Sometimes there are people, because we're so democratic in our country, sometimes people need to see this with their eyes as well as hear this with their ears. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. 
Why did he choose us? That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us. Why? To be adopted to himself, into his family, as sons of God through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace. Timing. Choice. And what follows here in God's sovereign choice of Jacob to be to further that messianic line is an incredible story of how the heel-catching liar is transformed by God into Israel. He will be renamed Israel, which means God prevails. He's going to become the, the man after God's heart. But it all starts with God's sovereign choice. Here's the deal. You and I might as well be called heel-catching liars. I know that sounds harsh, but all I mean by that is, is we are sinners who put ourselves first. And God is holy. We think about ourselves so many times a day that it should scare us. We are Jacob. We, we, we are heel-catching deceivers. And like Jacob, nobody here that's put their trust in Jesus, nobody deserved grace. Nobody deserved to be chosen. But if you've received Christ, the Messiah through this Messianic line, it is proof of God's choice. And you know something? God provides for his chosen. God has a plan out of his own heart that is good for his chosen, even as we go through really tough things and disappointments in our lives, some of which last 20 years, as was the case here. No, we didn't deserve it. He just decided. He just gave it to heel-catching liars like us. And anybody else outside these windows who will hear the gospel freely proclaimed through showing and telling by God's people and put their trust in Jesus. James Montgomery Boyce writes some of the most beautiful words about this. I knew him personally. He was an incredibly humble man. Quote, God says explicitly that he has chosen to save people entirely apart from any merit or receptivity in them, precisely so that all pride will be eliminated. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. It is not from yourselves, it is not your own works, it is the gift of God, lest anybody should boast. In other words, if you kind of helped out a little bit with your salvation and added to the mix, then you can boast. Other words, it's not grace. And I'm talking free grace. So independent from heel-catching liars like us that from the foundation of the world, God has loved a people.
It's an amazing thing. And in the book of Revelation, John looked before him. And you know how many people were before that throne? I, John, saw before me a multitude from every tribe and nation that was beyond counting. So if you're worried that God being sovereign and people being saved is going to have fewer people get into heaven, you need to get over that. This is a God of grace who brings to heaven people that don't deserve it so much you can't even count them. As far as I'm concerned, everybody in Jackson can be saved. Who am I to know? Everybody in the city of Nineveh was saved when Jonah went and preached the gospel. And we know that was God's choice because Jonah did not want to go there. You know that story. Jonah didn't even preach with any any kind of passion or compassion because he hated those people and didn't want them to repent. It was solely God's choice. It was an entire city of people because God is a sovereign and gracious God who is good and He chooses and He saves. And you know what? Knowing that we're heel-catching deceivers... And we're chosen and given grace through Jesus. This should cause us to really love God. We love Him solely because He first loved us. That is 1 John 4.19. And I have to read one more time, Jim Boyce. If we have a part in our salvation, then our, even a little part, then our love for God is diminished by just that amount. But if it is all of God, free grace from the foundation of the world, if it's all of God, then our love for Him ought to be boundless. And our gratitude to Him ought to be boundless. I say amen to that. Timing and choice. It's just an introduction. To this journey we're about to go on with the hill catcher. Timing and choice. Because of his choice, we can know that we are completely loved, though undeserving. Because of his choice and because of his love, we can trust God with our lives. And even because of His choice, trust Him with the timing. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, there is something in the American soul that just kind of doesn't want to give you full kingship. I'm, I, I know that we, we are self-starters and doers, but God, thank You that we couldn't do in our salvation. We believed but it's only because you gave us faith. You brought us to life. The gospel was preached, but it's only because you brought people to life who preached the gospel. You're the first mover. We're the responders. Oh, Lord, could we just say this morning, thank you for being sovereign and good and Savior. You've never put your trust in what Christ has done for you, and you see it. You can't do this outside of You can't do it on your own. All the religion in the world won't change who you are sufficient to be accepted before a holy God. You pray with me if you want Christ. Lord, I see it. I, I want to put my trust, Jesus, completely in what you've done. This is grace. I, I'm amazed now that I understand it. Lord, thank you that even now you've come into my life, 
Even now you have completely forgiven me. Even now I am a child of God. And Lord, even now I'm a part of your will. And Help me to trust your timing. And help us all to trust you. Even down to your timing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.